Acts 1, chapters 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all formed together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Al-Kadema, that is, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to worship. My name is Jonathan Romick, and I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for this book, uh, Acts. Pray that you would open it up to us and help us understand it and motivate us, and your Holy Spirit would speak through it. This book is just a beautiful record of the ways the Holy Spirit moves, and so I pray that that would continue here at Cornerstone. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start by um, sharing an experience from my own life. So when I graduated uh, college uh, in 2009, it's hard to believe now, uh, when I graduated college, I went on this like epic motorcycle ride with my dad. Uh, this was before I moved out to, to Virginia, uh, and it was like this 230-mile, that's like baby Jonathan, you can see like uh, <laughs> without the, the hair on my face. Uh, <laughs> there's no way that you could respect this if I was uh, like this every week. So uh, we went on this, this motorcycle ride, uh, 230 miles roughly, 
Uh, and we rode up uh, kind of over Trail Ridge. So if you've been to Estes Park, that's where I grew up, uh, there's this road that leaves it, goes through Rocky Mountain National Park. You can see it kind of winding back and forth, uh, and it gets higher and higher and higher and higher. It's a, a beautiful road, uh, beautiful views, and it goes up to 12,183 feet. Uh, and so it goes really high. Uh, and right now, actually, that road is closed because of snow. Uh, the snow is often higher than cars. I, I, I don't know exactly how high it is, but it kind of depends on where you are on the road. It, it seems like it's like 20 feet high. Uh, it's really uh, quite amazing. Uh, but it had just finished melting, and so we could go on this motorcycle ride. And uh, the snow-covered Rockies were beautiful, but uh, you might guess that it was a little chilly up there. <laughs> See, I was not prepared. I, I wore my motorcycle gear, but I didn't have enough layers. And so I was like freezing as I'm trying to enjoy all these beautiful views. And maybe you can relate to that, where you go on an exciting uh, adventure or a beautiful vacation, maybe even at the beach, and you forget things like an umbrella or sunscreen. Uh, and you're not prepared uh, to go and do this thing that you uh, are supposed to do. And that was my experience uh, this day. So we rode down from the top of the mountain, uh, and we were so eager to get like some miles under us that we did not stop at the gas station. And the next gas station was about 50 miles, uh, and uh, my, my gas uh, just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And I was pretty nervous, like, this is a picture of my dad, am I going to run out of gas? Now, um, I don't know if all motorcycles do, but many motorcycles uh, have like a, an, a reserve tank. Uh, and so you can turn that on. That'll take you a couple extra miles, but you don't want to have to turn that on. And so I don't know if I had to use that or not, but I do know I was so happy to get to the gas station uh, that I took a picture of it. Oh, apparently I forgot to put the picture uh, up there. Uh, and so I took a picture of it. I was just happy to, to make it, happy to get to the gas station. I wasn't prepared. And uh, when we go on journeys, when we go on trips, uh, we want to be prepared, right? Whatever uh, we're doing in our life, we want to, to get ready for it. I could have uh, worn more layers or uh, fueled up to make sure that I was enjoying the time and able to do it without thinking about those other things. Now, this was a great memory, uh, but I should have been better prepared uh, before I left. Now, as we look at the book of Acts, we see that God is calling us to this kind of epic journey, this, uh, this amazing uh, story of the early church is meant to inspire us and move us to go on a similar journey as we reach out to those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the good news about him, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, last week, I, I talked a lot about that, and it's this incredible calling for us as a church body. But the question is, are we going to be prepared? Are we going to uh, get out and run out of steam because, well, uh, you know, we, we didn't really do the things that we needed to do to, to make sure that we could uh, continue the mission? Because it's easy to get excited about something and then start it and then just kind of die out. So this sermon today, as we look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, is a call. It's a call to prepare, uh, prepare before we go on the mission, uh, to prepare to enjoy the journey as a church body. And this is an individual call, but then this is also a call for us corporately as the body of Christ here in Westford. And so uh, we start with this uh, simple uh, reminder, this simple lesson uh, from the first couple of verses in the, in the book of Acts. 
And that's this, that we need power for our mission. We need fuel. We need to be prepared. We need those layers. See, before Jesus sends out his disciples to, to share the gospel, the good news with the entire ancient world, what does he promise? He promises power. He promises power through the Holy Spirit. So if you kind of look down at your Bibles and look back at verse 8, we didn't read that today, uh, but it says this, and this is our foundation but verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This Greek word for power is uh, uh, dunamis, which sounds kind of like our word for like dynamite or dynamic uh, and I, I looked for this word through the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts, since uh, they're both written by the same author. And we can see all the different ways this word is used to describe the power that God has. This, this power through the Holy Spirit can transform people's hearts. Uh, it can conceive a baby in a virgin girl. It can cast out demons. It can heal the lame and the sick. It can perform miracles. It can make people listen when the gospel is shared. This is the type of uh, power that we have access to. Now, obviously, some of these things were uh, meant for the birth of Christ, right? The, his conception by the Holy Spirit. But as I look at this list, I see how, how if we are full of the Holy Spirit and we are full of the power of God, that we can experience some of these same things in our community. We can see people's hearts transformed. Uh, we can see uh, Satan cast out. We can see uh, 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 people uh, experiencing the healing touch of God. Maybe we will see miracles. I don't know. Hopefully we'll see people listen when the gospel is shared. Now this power is the Holy Spirit's power. But this power is not just the Holy Spirit's power. This, this power is also Jesus' power. Uh, sometimes we forget about Jesus. We're like, okay, he came. He's all, you know, the Gospels are all about Jesus, but then Acts is about the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of done with Jesus now. We're going uh, to, to, to the Holy Spirit. Well, no, the two work together to give us power as we go about our mission serving him. Did you know that uh, more uh, of the sun's power uh, strikes the earth in one hour than the entire world uses in a single year. So enough uh, energy hits our planet in one hour from the sun. If we could figure out a way to use that, we could, we could power our earth for an entire year. And that's just a glimpse of the Son of God's power, of what Christ Jesus can do in our lives, in our church, in our town, in our community. He's going to call us to be his witnesses, and he, he's not just like pushing us out the door without enough layers and without the Holy Spirit. He wants to empower us. The question is, do we want to be empowered? Do we want the Holy Spirit present? Do we want access to this? Now, the original name for Acts is Acts of the Apostles. I don't know why we don't call it that in our, uh, our, our modern translations. The Bible Project, love them, uh, they, they say a really a better name for Acts is the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's not because, well, the apostles, so the, the 12 disciples of Jesus aren't doing work, it's because Jesus is doing the work through people, through his Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is the primary worker. Jesus is the primary 
conductor. It's easy when we read scripture to say, like, who am I in this story? That's not always wrong. Oftentimes that's a good way to apply it. But ultimately, we've got to look and see Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the worker. Jesus is the one who is, who is spreading his church, his kingdom, through the people and through the Holy Spirit. You might remember uh, how Jesus, in verse 9, uh, he, he ascends. So verse 9 says this, after, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's like, where did Jesus go? <laughs> well, he sent it into heaven. And he, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe you remember this from uh, the Gospel of Luke. So we went through Luke as a church. Luke 22, 6, uh, 69 says this. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. So we have access to Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. A place of power and authority. I think so often we underestimate the power that is available to us through Christ Jesus, the authority that Jesus grants us through his Holy Spirit. This is a place of glory, but a place of, of, of authority and power. See, right now Jesus is uh, bodily seated. That's kind of a fun thing to say, he's bodily. That means Jesus didn't like, uh, like poof, become a ghost, <laughs> Jesus rose in his body into heaven and is seated there. Yes, his body is different than your and my body. It's glorious, it's transformed. But he is ruling, he is reigning, and he is overseeing us. And we're a congregational church, and sometimes we think that, like, okay, the elders are in charge or the congregation's in charge. No, Jesus is in charge of our church. Jesus is the head of this church in Westford. And he's the head of every single gospel-preaching church and throughout time. So Jesus ascended into heaven and he is, he is taking care of business. Uh, he is sending out his followers on mission. And we need his power. But why do we need this power? Because his power is unstoppable. Christ's power is unstoppable. Do you remember what Jesus promised Peter? So Peter is one, uh, probably the most famous of the disciples, one of the, of the 12 apostles. And Jesus promised this in Matthew 16, 18. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, Jesus is building his church through his Holy Spirit and the deeds of his people. That's right. Jesus is building his church through you and me. And Satan will not overcome it. The gates of Hades. That should be encouraging to us. They can't... Satan and, and, and his followers can't stop what we're doing. Newton's first law of motion says that an object in motion stays in motion. Now, that's not his full law. It means if you encounter resistance, if you run into something, it stops. Thankfully, the gospel is not based on Newton's first law of motion. It's an object in motion that is going to stay in motion even when it encounters resistance. Even when the gospel encounters walls and barriers and hard hearts, it's going to keep going. And that applies for, for Christ's church. That applies to us. How can this be? Because Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. 
You can't stop the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 through 13 talk about this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All 11 disciples were present. Now, Judas Judas had betrayed Jesus, right? So we hear the the story of his death in this passage, but Peter gets up and begins to talk about why they need to actually replace Judas, verses 15 through 17. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So Peter now, he quotes the Psalms and applies them to the life of, of Judas, and that they are called by God to replace Judas. Uh, Acts 1.20 says, for, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. I've always kind of wondered, like, what's going on here? Like, why does this matter? This is such a, a weird kind of tangent But I think there's actually a great deal of encouragement in this. This means God knew, allowed, and perhaps even planned for Judas's part. And Judas did this incredibly evil thing, right? He betrayed the Son of Man. He betrayed Jesus himself. And yet God uses it for good. God uses this mistake, this sin, to further his kingdom. So you cannot stop Christ's plans. You cannot stop the kingdom of God. Christ uses all things, good things, bad things, things we interpret as good, things we interpret as bad, to work out for our good. Christ's power is unstoppable. Now there's a story in the Old Testament, uh, maybe you're familiar with it, a man named Joseph, a young man who has 10 older brothers, would eventually become the the 12 tribes of Israel. His brothers sell him into slavery. And while in slavery, things seem to get better. He gets promoted, he gets into a position of power, he gets a good job, but then he gets betrayed again, and this time thrown into prison. But God uses this this awful experience several years later to to raise Joseph up to to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so we, we see this, this experience that God is using evil for good. A famine hits the land, and because of some visions Joseph had had, uh, Egypt is prepared, and actually his, his brothers come down to Egypt to get some food. Through a series of events, they eventually realize, oh, this is Joseph. This is our brother who we betrayed. He is in a position of power and authority, and he could kill us. So they're terrified. But Joseph says this, Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is the son who was betrayed. And yet, God uses it for good to save many lives. Jesus is the son who was betrayed. God uses it to save anyone who is willing to believe in Jesus, to repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ Jesus. 
And so uh, as they decide, okay, we're going to uh, replace Judas, it's that they're, they're acknowledging that God is, is using the situation for good, this evil situation, but also God is telling a bigger story. God is telling a story that cannot be stopped by, by human wickedness, by human plans, by human decisions. See, the Bible identifies the 12 tribes of Israel as the people of God in the Old Testament. Then the Bible goes on in the New Testament to identify uh, the believers, Christian believers, as the people of God. I think Jesus, when he, uh, when he identifies 12 disciples, he's doing that very specifically to show that Christian believers, that his followers are a continuation of the people of God from the Old Testament, 12 tribes, to the New Testament, 12 disciples. If we were to look at uh, Revelation uh, 4, verse 4, it talks about 24 elders are seated on the 24 thrones. There's this idea that there is a continuation of the people of God from old to new, 12 tribes, 12 disciples, one continuous people. And so if we step back and we see what God is doing, he is telling a bigger story. Christ is saying, my people will not be hindered. My people are going forward. My kingdom is continuing to grow. And we fall under those 12 disciples. As a church, as as those who who are repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus, we're a continuation. The story has not stopped. This is amazing. Christ's power is unstoppable. God has called us to our unique mission here in Westford to make mature and multiply followers of Christ in Westford, on our front lines, the places God calls us to every day, our families, our workplaces. He's called us to cross social barriers, our Samaria, to share the gospel, and he's even called us to go into foreign nations. So we talked about Haiti this morning. And so I have two questions for us. The first one is this. Do you believe Jesus has the power we need? Do you believe that Jesus has the power we need as a church body? This is, a, this is a question we really need to ask ourselves. Do you believe that Jesus can actually change lives in our community? Do you believe that Jesus can actually change lives in your workplace or in your family, those around you that don't know Christ Jesus yet? And if you do, then question number two is, do you want Jesus to empower you and us as a church body for our mission? Because Jesus, when he sends his Holy Spirit, I guess, you know, maybe we're all like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I want the Holy Spirit. That sounds great. Jesus doesn't give us the Holy Spirit so that we can live nice Christian lives. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to go out into our world and to share the gospel with those around us, to live every day for our King in every aspect of who we are. This is what the Holy Spirit has come to do. So we need power for our mission, and Christ's power is unstoppable. So the question then is like, okay, so how do we access this? Is it just through faith in Christ Jesus? Yes, that's the first part of it. But I think we see a pattern here that Christ's power, his power, comes through prayer. So what do the disciples do? The, the 120 disciples, the, 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 the women, Mary, and the mother of Jesus, what do they do after seeing Jesus rise into heaven? They go and they just pray, <laughs> They pray, verses 14 says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. There's 10 days between uh, the ascension and Pentecost. 
So we get this image of them spending 10 days in prayer. And that would be amazing for us as a church body to spend 10 days together in prayer, seeking God's will. See, it's this prayer, this time of prayer that leads to the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at that next week when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the people for God's mission. And then the mission begins to take off. But it begins with a time of prayer. Verse 24 says, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They cover this leadership decision, who they're going to replace Judas with in prayer. And then they cast lots. And so that's how we're going to do church business from now on at Cornerstone. We're just going to cast lots. No, the reason they do that, I, I think, as I understand the scripture, is that they are very specifically saying this is Jesus' decision. This decision is not in our hands. We're going to cast a lot because Christ is the one who is appointing this disciple to become an apostle. That's powerful, that Jesus is leading his church. And now we have the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have wisdom. So God gives us other ways to make decisions. Sometimes we think that uh, we pray so that we can be better Christians. We pray so that we'll, we'll look good before God. We don't just pray uh, because we want something from God or even, the, or even because we want to accomplish something for God. We pray because we want to know God. We want to be in relationship with God. You talk to people that you love. They talk to you. And so we pray, we seek the Holy Spirit, we seek God because we want to be in relationship with God. And it's that relationship that then fills us up, that energizes us and empowers us to go out and be his witnesses in a broken and hurting world. Now, maybe you, you think about revival on occasion. Revival, this idea of that like, a mass amount of people will come to know Christ Jesus. I want revival. I'd like to see people come to, you know, to Christ and put their faith in him. But I think oftentimes prayer, prayer precedes revival. And so we need to pray. The, uh, prayer in this pattern, that doesn't mean that this is always the case, but in Acts we see a time of prayer, 10 days of prayer, and then Pentecost happens, then Peter preaches, and 3,000 people come to Christ. God uses the corporate prayers of his people together to do amazing things. And so I ask myself, are we praying at Cornerstone? So a little assessment time, a little self-inventory. I do think we are praying. These are some of the ways. We have a prayer network, right, where we send out emails and people can pray for each other and their needs. We have a Friday night community group from 6.30 to 8 p.m. that's dedicated to prayer, and there's some fellowship in there as well. We have a Sunday morning prayer time from 8 to 8.45. Now at many of the elders meetings and deacons meetings, we, we open with an extended time of prayer, sometimes 30 to 45 minutes. And then there's just ongoing prayers. People are praying together and, and, and doing so in ministry teams or just over coffee or tea, uh, just, just praying as we go throughout our days. This should encourage us that we are praying as a church body. We might not be all gathered here like for the next 10 days praying, but we are praying. But I also think this should challenge us. Because if you were to um, uh, perhaps take a closer look at some of these, you might be like, okay, I got this, this prayer through the email network, and I just like fire off a 15-second prayer, <laughs> and then I'm done, and I keep going about my day. Or, you know, only a handful of people come to the prayer community group or the, the Sunday morning prayer time. Or if, if, if business is really pressing, we, we, we shorten that time of prayer at our meetings. 
And so I, I think there's an encouragement in seeing all the ways that we are praying as a church, but I also think there's a challenge. Are we seeking God? And I hate to be like, you know, you have to pray for this amount of time. <laughs> that, that, for some reason, frustrates me. Paul says pray continually. And so, I think we should be challenged as a church that we should be continually praying in our, in our ministries, uh, for our events as we gather, in our services. And then personally, right, individually, praying for those on our front lines, praying for our coworkers, praying for our family members that don't know Christ yet. Praying for, uh, your, as you go to the grocery store, and you're checking out with the cashier, praying that they would come to know Christ. As you go to Dunkin' Donuts and get your coffee and donut, praying that uh, those people, the staff members, would come to know Christ. When you're driving through Westford or Littleton or, or Acton or wherever you live, as you drive past the homes, praying that the people in these homes would come to know Jesus. As you're driving here on a Sunday morning, praying that this community would come to, 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 to believe in Christ Jesus. But I do think there is something special when we gather Jesus said, uh, you know, when two or three gather, I am there in their midst. And so I do think there is something special about a corporate gathered time of prayer. And that's why we have these opportunities, like the Friday night and the Sunday morning. I would like to see those things grow. I would like to see us all prioritize more uh, time in prayer. Because it can lead to, uh, it fills us up, it prepares us for the mission God is calling us to. It can lead to revival. It can lead to God doing amazing things. So before the mission, we need power for our mission. Christ's power is unstoppable, and his power comes through prayer. And so I want us to each think about, okay, Lord, what's one way that I can continue to pray a little bit more this week individually? How can I kind of foster that spirit of having a conversation with God as I go throughout my day praying continually? And then how can, I, how can I gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and, and pray for each other's needs and pray for our community? How can I emphasize those, those, those two uh, areas of focus in my own life? It's not going to look the same for everyone. I wanted to close with a story of kind of prayer leading to revival, helping revival. And uh, I ran into this story uh, that I, I hadn't uh, heard about before, so maybe it's new to you as well. Uh, but this is a sculpture of a man named Jeremy Lanfear. Uh, it's a man praying on a park bench. Maybe you can see his, his hands are, uh, are, are kind of upwards, and I think he has a Bible on one of his uh, knees. Uh, and this, this, this sculpture was actually in Columbus Circle in Upper Manhattan uh, for about eight years, and it's called Invitation to Pray. Now uh, resides in a local Christian college in New York City. Uh, but this is a, of a man named Jeremy Lanfear, and he lived in New York City in the 1800s. He became a Christian, and he began to tell others about Jesus Christ. He was a, a clothing wholesaler, and he would use his evenings and his times off to just go out and hand out tracts and pray with people and, 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 and uh, share the gospel. And pretty soon a church hired him to, to do ministry around their church, to, to do visitation to their church members, and to, to help do Bible studies. And uh, he, as he went about this, he, felt, he found that he was pretty drained by uh, the work of, of Christ in his community. And so he decided he was going to pray for an hour every day at noontime. He felt that was what recharged him. 
to be a follower of Christ Jesus. But then he realized, well, if I need an hour of prayer, perhaps uh, others could use uh, an hour of prayer. And so he put up uh, flyers around New York City, 20,000 flyers. And he started a noontime prayer meeting. He rented out a facility and he, and he went there. And he you know, kneeled, kneeled down and began to pray and no one was there. It was him. But then about 30 minutes in, five other people uh, came and kneeled with him and began to pray. And then every week, more and more people began to pray. He, he had about 40 businessmen that came and began to pray. Uh, but then it, it grew and grew and grew. And other prayer uh, groups uh, sprang up around the city. Uh, and I, I think at one time, uh, there was something like 10,000 people praying throughout New York City. A newspaper picked it up. Uh, and other cities, Chicago, St. Louis, uh, Cleveland, Cleveland, began to pray. And this movement of prayer contributed uh, to millions of people being converted to Christ Jesus or being renewed in their faith. I know there was other things going on in this time period, but there was this movement of prayer that God used to further his kingdom, to, to further his witness in our world. And so I want to challenge us. Challenge us as a church to, to take this call seriously, uh, to pray. We, one of our core values is prayer, that we pray for our lives, church, and town. So let's do that. Let this be a, kind of a, a renewed call to pray as a church body, to pray individually in our own lives. We need power for our mission. Christ's power is unstoppable. So how do we get that? So we seek the Holy Spirit through prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this power that you offer us. You offer yourself. And in order to access you, we need to spend time seeking you, seeking, uh, seeking your power, seeking your Holy Spirit, seeking our Heavenly Father. We pray that our church would be a church marked by prayer, that this would be true. It wouldn't just be a core value, but it would really be a lived out value. Lord, we don't need to start new events, new ministries to do this. We just need to pray. Help us to pray. Help us to seek your face. Help us to know you more and more. Lord, we thank you for the ways that we are already praying. We pray that you would challenge us, encourage us to pray, spend time with you more and more as we go throughout our days. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.